If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. This is where we're going to be talking about the Garden of Eden. I preached on this a while ago, and then in the meantime, God laid certain words on my heart, and, um, and we're going to get back to this because we only talked about one tree, and if you know the story, there's two trees in the Garden of Eden. But well, let's do a, a recap because the Garden of Eden is a very important part of the story in Genesis. Because see, Genesis 1 through 11 really is the first kind of the foundation of why the world is the way it is. You know, you think about how wicked, how evil, how corrupt this world is. Genesis, the first 11 chapters kind of explain why this world is so wicked and why God is not going to be deterred on his plan to bring back what he wanted. It really is the foundation and it starts here in the garden. And if you look at the garden in Genesis 2 verse 4, it says this, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. No, now, no shrub had yet appeared on earth and no plant yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord formed uh, a man from dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God created Adam for a specific purpose, to work the garden. Now, this is a part of day six. Of creation because the first chapter well it extends into chapter 2 but the first section of the creation story is God telling us how creation happened it is his guideline his outline this is his story which we know as his story history and so it is God giving us and we know this is a part of day 6 because of this Exodus 20 verse 1 says and God spoke all these words and this is the Ten Commandments. In verse 11, it says, For in six days, so once again, God spoke all these words, and this is what he said, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Clearly, the Bible only teaches a, a six-day creation week with the seventh day he rested. And we know in Genesis 1 that it was on the sixth day that God created the animals and then he created mankind. He created Adam and Eve. He created Adam. And we know this because of Genesis 1. And so if you understand that, that, that man was created on day six, then when you continue in the story in chapter 2 of Genesis when there was no shrubs or no, no plants because there was no one to work it. It's a review, a recap of what is happening on day six. The Bible only gives us six days of creation, the, the creative works in six days. And that's why in Genesis 2, it says this is the account of heavens and earth when they were created. You notice it is set in the past. This is something that has already happened. So when we talk about the Garden of Eden, this is something that has already taken place, and I believe it was on day six. 
Now I have, I talked to a lot of different people about the creation story. You know, I wrote my book, What If Genesis 1 Was Correct? I take a very literal approach of, creation, of the creation story. And I have no problem with it. Matter of fact, you can ask me any question. You can ask me what I believe and I will defend what I believe according to scripture. But I wanted to make sure before I wrote the book that I knew what I was talking about. And I wanted it to be consistent with scripture. And so that's something that we have to do. We have to have beliefs that are consistent with Scripture. Just like the Bible says that if you put your hand on the plow and you look back, you are not worthy of the kingdom of heaven. Well, wait a minute. Is that consistent with Scripture? Yes, because it shows us in other places where we must be devoted to the Lord, seek Him first. You know, these things are consistent. And so with my approach to the creation story is it consistent with Scripture? And consistently, it's a six-day period. And on the sixth day, God created mankind. And now we're going to do a recap. That's why I believe that Genesis 2, verse 4, is the beginning of a new section. Because, see, day 7 never had a conclusion. First day, there was morning, there was evening, or evening in the morning. Second day, evening, morning, and so on. But the seventh day, there's no conclusion. And people say, aha, you can't use Genesis um, literally because there's no end to the seventh day. Well, there doesn't need to be an end because we have this word called toledot, which means a written record of history. This is an account, and you're going to go back, and that's why it says when they were created. So we're going back in the past, kind of highlighting what happened on day six. Now, I trust the words that Moses wrote down. I trust, matter of fact, Jesus trusts the words that Moses wrote down because he told them, you know, the people that were accusing him, hey, if you were to believe Moses, you would believe me because Moses wrote about me. Jesus validated the words of Moses. But here's why I also trust the words of Moses who wrote the first five books of the Bible. You see, one day Aaron and Miriam, Moses' brother and sister, started to complain. They started to speak bad about their brother because they didn't like the fact that he uh, married someone outside of the people of God. He was a Levite. He should have married someone in his clan, but he didn't. And so they started to speak bad about him, started to question his authority. This is found in Numbers 12, verse 2. It says, has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they said? So here, you know, the brothers and sisters start to snipe and say, does God only speak to Moses? Hasn't he also spoken to us? And this is what I love. The Lord heard this. And so God says, okay, come here, Aaron, Miriam, Moses. We're going to have a little conversation. And this is what God said. This is God speaking. Listen to my words. Sorry, the Lord was just talking to me. This is what he says. Listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true to my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. When I speak face to face with him, I speak face to face clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses, God came up and just said, listen, when the prophets and, and the people that I speak to, I, I do it in visions. I do it in dreams. But with Moses, we're right face to face and we talk without riddles. It is clear. Man, 
Think about that. When God is saying, okay, Moses, sit down. I want to tell you how creation happened. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, hold on, God. Uh, NASA said that, no, 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 no. It was clear. Without riddles, it was clear. And God says, this is the way it happened. So, I believe in six days was creation. It has to be. You know, a lot of people will like to throw in a gap theory there between Genesis 1 and 2. There was this long period of time and all this. Uh, fine, you can do whatever you want. But I want to be consistent with Scripture and its six days. And why is this important? This is important because you must understand that the garden plays a very particular role in this whole story. This isn't just something that happened. This is God's story. And we know that it is a commentary on day six because something important is about to happen on day six. And so, believing that Genesis 2 is a recap or a commentary, let's look again at chapter 2. And it says, these are the, and this is from the ESV. I'll read this from the ESV. It says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens so no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant or field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there is no man to work the ground. A mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. The reason why I chose to read this in the ESV is because it does a good job of the translation. Because in the NIV, it says that there was no shrubs or plants on the earth. And so when we think of earth, we think of just the whole planet. We think of the whole surface, all the land, everything. But this wasn't the case with the Garden of Eden. It was about a territory. It was about a piece of land. And that's why even in the NIV, they will put a little asterisk there to remind you, to let you know that you could also translate it as land. And I think it's a better thing because it has to be just a certain part of the earth. So the garden wasn't the entire earth. The garden was just the garden, and it was a special place that God did, that God created these beautiful things. And I believe the reason why you must understand that it was just a small part is because look at this time of, well, we'll get to that in a second here. So, so it's this land, it's this territory, this garden. And now God created waters to flow, and it started to... to um, give the plants and the things that needed to grow water and then he created mankind and then in the middle of the garden in chapter 2 verse 9 it says this the lord god made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground trees that were pleasing to the eye for good for food in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil now in the middle of the garden god creates the two trees and we talked about the tree of life or the tree of good of knowledge of good and evil and today we're going to talk about the tree of life but just to recap, what is this tree of knowledge of good and evil? Was it a real tree? Of course it was. Eve saw it. She said it looked good to eat. She ate from it. And it was only talked about two times in, in, in this chapter. In the middle of the garden was this tree. And some people have different theories about what this tree was. Some people thought it was about a sexual nature because they were innocent, they were naked, and then when they ate from this tree, they realized they were shamed, and, um, and so they had to put some clothes on. But I don't think that was the case. Some people believe that it's just like a tree of opportunity, a tree of testing to see if you're going to obey God or not. I don't think that's the case either because 
God isn't into just testing us to see us fail. God is into giving us direction so we can succeed. This tree simply was about wisdom. And that's why in Proverbs 8, it says, This is wisdom speaking. The Lord brought me forth at the first of his works before his deeds of old. And this is wisdom. I was formed long ages ago at the very beginning when the world came into being. This tree was about understanding wisdom. Wisdom is about obedience and surrender and commitment to God and his ways. When you don't use wisdom, when, and to put it in the words of Proverbs, when you be stupid, then what happens is you don't use wisdom. You don't observe the knowledge of God. You don't understand his instructions. You re neglect them. You reject them. And what happens is you understand the full weight now of what has happened. And that's why God says that they become like one of us. Because God understands the full weight of what happens when you disobey. We don't sometimes see the results of what happens. Now, when we eat at home, you know, we like to cook, you know, with, with natural stuff and organic stuff. And, you know, we like to just because it just tastes better. I'm just just my personal opinion, but it's right. It just tastes better. You know, uh, farm fresh eggs. Oh, the yolks are so golden. And I mean, just just tastes better. And but when you go out to a restaurant, it, restaurant, it tastes good, too. But you know why it tastes so good? Because they use two things. They use two things. They use a lot of butter or some type of fat to make it taste good, and they use a lot of salt because salt enhances flavor. So instead of putting, you know, sun-ripened tomatoes, they'll put a can of tomatoes with some more salt in there to enhance the flavor. So what happens the next day when you get home? You can't even close your hands. Your salt so much, ugh, we feel stiff. We don't see the results of it right away. We don't see the results of it right away. But I know that restaurants taste good because they use a lot of fat and a lot of salt. And we pay a lot of money for it and we like it. We enjoy it. But we don't see the results of it right away. And here, when they ate from the tree, they didn't see the results. They didn't understand the full weight of what was going to happen. And that's why God says they become like us. And so he had to banish them from the tree, uh, from the garden, because they, if they stayed in the garden, they still would have had the ability to live forever. So... This sounds like a pretty mean story if you take it on just reading it like that. God makes all this beautiful place and he sets up this whole garden and, um, and right in the middle he says, you can have everything you want, but these trees you can't touch. And you know, if I was the first man and my wife was the first woman, you know, these trees would have buffalo wings and salad, you know, it just those two things that we love, you know, and, and it would just be just tempting. Why would God do that? That's not what's happening here. God designed all this beautiful place for them, but he made two trees. One tree is about using wisdom, but the other tree is about the tree of life. So what is it about these trees? Well, the first one, like I said, it's about wisdom, and they didn't use wisdom. Praise the Lord that we can use wisdom today because we understand the full weight of sin. That the Bible tells us that sin will produce death. We don't want to die physically or spiritually. We don't want to die, so we don't participate. We use wisdom everywhere we go. But what about this tree of life? And why is this garden so important? First of all, let's talk about the Garden of Eden. We, we hear it all the time, the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden. But I believe it's better to be called the Garden of God. 
Ezekiel 28.13 says, You were in Eden, the garden of God. Ezekiel 31 says, I made a beautiful and abundant branches, the envy of all the trees of Eden in the garden of God. Genesis 13.10 tells us, Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of Jordan towards Zor was well watered like the garden of the Lord. Isaiah 51.3 says, The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on her ruins and he will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. It was the garden of God. This was his garden. This wasn't Adam's garden. This wasn't Eve's garden. It was his garden. It was God's garden. And this is important to understand because this place was very special. This was not a place to learn about farming. I mean, God didn't create this place just so that Adam can be a good agricultural person and know how to farm. He created this, I believe, for three special reasons. The first of all, it was about service to God. This was a place where you understood your purpose. This was a place where you understood what you were designed for. Adam was created, why? To tend the garden, to work the field, to do what God asked him to do. I want to tell you that when people are separated from God, the first thing they realize is they lose their purpose in life. Our world is filled with people that go to work every day, and yet when it comes to purpose, they have no clue why they're here. They have no understanding what their purpose is. And when you are out of contact with God's garden, when you are out of contact in the place that God has designed for you, in the life that God wants of you, you lose your purpose. You lose your sense of direction. So this was about service to God. I believe the garden was also a special place. It was a special place. It wasn't like any other place. It wasn't like the whole world. It was special. This was God's place. And in this place was a chance to build a relationship with God. I believe in special places. I believe that when I go to special places, and for me, one of those special places is, is Lake Geneva when I go to camp and I get there and it's just something about that place that is unique and God just speaks to me so clearly and it's just such a, a special place. But I don't have to drive three and a half hours to go there now because, or to go there because I know that I can meet with God right here. I can meet with him in my prayer closet. I can meet with him driving down Highway 15. I can meet with him wherever. Because God is with me. But this place, this garden, was about relationship. And when you get out of contact with God's garden, you start to break down your relationship with God. And all of a sudden, the, 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 the way you would be with God, the way you would interact with God begins to change. Don't want nothing to do with God. Don't want nothing to do with God's people. Don't want nothing to do with church. I believe this place was about service to God where you find your purpose. I believe this was a special place where you find your relationship with God. And also I believe it was about order. It was about order. It, it was about keeping the chaos away. There's something about being in an orderly place that brings peace in your life. This last winter, my, my uh, in-laws were sick. And they, uh, they came down with terrible case of, of sickness. And they just, they were, they would tell you they were on their deathbed. And so we sent the best thing we could, my wife. And so she went over there for a week and was just in the midst of sickness and just taking care of them and, and just tending them. And it was, it was, it was such a, 
uh, a nice thing that she was able to do. But that meant me and the girls were at home. And that meant chaos entered our home. The first day, my daughters decided to do some projects in the living room. And, and I said, just, just, just keep it on the table, girls. Just keep it on the table because Ma left this house pretty good. Just keep it on the table. The next day, okay, girls, just, just keep it in the living room, okay? Just keep it in the living room. We've got to clean this up, you know? And the next day, and I'm not joking. I would come home. I would come home, and I would say, girls, where did I go? Where did I go when I came home? The bedroom. Because that was the only place where there was no chaos. And I was literally in my bedroom. Because there's something peaceful about coming to a place that's orderly. You know, one of the things my wife always did was try to keep the house perfect. Not because she wanted to be the perfect 1950s housewife. It's because she knew that there was something peaceful about entering a place. When you come home from a long trip, when you come home from an evening, just... And this is what the garden was about. It was about keeping order and keeping the chaos away. And when you lose connection with God, what happens? Chaos comes into your life. Peace is no longer there. And the order, the things that God has placed to help us keep those things away, floods our life. Peace is so important. Eden was not the whole world, though. It was just this special place. So where is Eden? Second Peter gives us a clue. Second Peter 3 tells us this, For when they maintain this, it escapes their notion that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at the time was destroyed by being flooded with water. So Peter tells us that, hey, this flood destroyed all of it. Destroyed everything. Destroyed the world. Well, what about the garden? Ezekiel says this, Ezekiel 36, this land was laid waste and has become, listen, the land was laid waste and has become like the Garden of Eden. The cities were lying in ruins, desolate, destroyed, and are now fortified and inhabited, inhabitable. So the whole world by the flood was destroyed, and so was Eden. Eden was a part of the world. Eden was here. It was a special place, but it was destroyed. Eden, if Eden was the whole world, because some people think that, you know, when you mention the Garden, it's just the whole world. But it doesn't make sense because look at the story of Noah with the flood. After the flood, God says this. God blessed Noah and said to his son, saying to them, be fruitful, increase in number and fill the earth. How could, if the whole Garden of Eden is destroyed, and if the Garden of Eden is the whole world, how could you fulfill what God wanted you to do to fill the earth? So Eden was just a small place, and that was destroyed in the flood. It was gone. But even if the Eden, the Garden of Eden, was still here today, it wouldn't matter because there's an angel that would stand there with a sword, you know, the original lightsaber, and it would just protect the garden. Why? Because the tree of life was there, but the Garden of Eden was destroyed. But this is, this is why I think the garden is so important, because what was in the garden and why did God protect it from not being entered again? It was called the tree of life. The tree of life. And it was also where God's presence was. Do you remember in Genesis 3 it says that then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord 
as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God was in the garden. God's presence was in the garden, and now it's gone. And now Eden is no more. So where does that leave us? Because there was something special about this place, and it was always tied to water. You see, God's presence is always tied to water when it comes to the garden. And you see this all throughout the the Jewish philosophy, how they viewed things. In Psalm 46, it says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. So the author is saying, listen, where God dwells, there is a river that runs. In Zechariah, In 14, Zechariah 14, speaking about the coming of the Lord, it says this, On that day, living water will flow out of Jerusalem. So there was always this association because in the garden, God caused the water to flow, the rivers, the four rivers. God caused water to flow to bring life because his presence was there. And the psalmist understood this. Zechariah understood this. And even in the New Testament, This is understood. Revelations 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. In Revelation, God is on his throne and from his presence, from his throne, flows a river. Ever since the fall of mankind, ever since Eve ate from the tree, ever since they disobeyed God, we have been separated from the tree of life. And the results of that act have been death. We are no longer allowed to eat from the tree of life. Because if we could, we could live forever. That's that's why in Genesis 3.22, it says the Lord said to them, Adam and Eve, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not allow to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat forever. This tree is no longer available to us. We no longer even have access to the garden, to this water that brings life, to this tree that brings life. And even if it survived the flood, it is no longer accessible to us because there is an angel that would be guarding it. So why is this garden so important? And I want to bring this to a close. is because it's a reminder of what we had, what we lost, but what is going to be restored again. Because see, the garden of, in the garden, those two trees, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, only mentioned twice in chapter 2. That's it. But the tree of life is mentioned in the beginning And it's mentioned at the very end. There is this restoration that is going to happen. This is what the gospel is. This is what the good news is. That Jesus has come to undo what was done. Jesus come to restore what was lost. Jesus is come to allow God's presence no longer in a garden, but to be with us, to live in us, and once again to have rivers flow from within us. Not in a garden, not in a temple, Not in the holies of holies, but inside of us. And just as the presence of God was associated with living water in the garden, we too will flow with living water. This is what Jesus said in John 4. Everyone who drinks this water from the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become 
in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus also again repeated this in John 7. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Why would rivers of living water flow? Why would living waters be in us? Because God's presence is in us. Remember in the garden, God's presence was tied to the water. It was the rivers. The psalmist praised him for it. Zechariah prophesied. Um, John wrote about it in Revelation, the rivers. And Jesus says, listen, because I am here, you are going to have water flow from within you. Because God lives in us. His presence is with us. We don't need a garden anymore to serve God. We don't need a garden to know our purpose. We have Jesus who gives us direction, who gives us purpose. That's why he told his disciples, come follow me. I will send you out to fish for people. You see, because these fishermen thought that's what their purpose was. My dad was a fisherman. I'm a fisherman. I will always be a fisherman. But Jesus came to them and says, listen, follow me. And I will give you purpose. You don't need a garden for purpose. You don't need a garden to develop a special relationship with God because you can meet with God right now. Matter of fact, we have access to the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10 tells us, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus Christ, we don't need a garden anymore for in order for him to meet with us in the cool of the day because that time is now. We have access to the Father now. And when you go before the Father, he says the book of Hebrews tells us, go with confidence. You belong there. As we sang this morning, that, you know, as a child of God, who am I? I am who you say I am. Have confidence. Know that you are a child of God. Know that you have been given favor. Know that God listens to you, that he has highly favored you, that he has saved you, redeemed you, cleansed you, cleansed you, and justified you, and now you are pure and blameless. Have confidence when you enter into the holy place. So you don't need a garden to know your purpose. You don't need a garden to have a special place to meet with God. And most certainly, you don't need a garden to experience living waters bringing life and restoration in us because he lives in you. John 14, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I want you to know today that rivers of living water flow within you. Why is it so important? Because moving waters, rivers of living waters, remove all the contamination, remove the junk, and bring fresh nutrients into your life. That's why the spring waters, there's something about spring waters that is magical. Even in the Bible, there's a very strange story of the guy who sits there and he wants to get healed, but every time the angel would stir the waters, no one would be there to put him in because they believed that the first person in the water, when it stirred, and they believe it was by angels, when the first person that would get in there, they would be healed. And the man says, no one's here to lift me up because when the angel stirs the water, someone else jumps in, someone else is put in. And Jesus said, listen, you don't need those waters. I'm the one who will make rivers of living water flow within you. Get up, you're healed. Take your mat and go. You see, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. The waters are so important because they bring refreshing. 
they bring restoration. If you're not a Christian, you're separated from God. You don't have access to the way we do. And that's a very simple thing. You just ask Jesus into your life. But if you're a Christian and there's some junk in your life, and we call that sin, what better way to get rid of that than allow the waters to just flow over you to wash you clean? There's something beautiful about water. Even if you had your hands full of a whole bunch of junk and they're dirty, even if you just run them underwater, you'll get almost everything off because water is so good. And Jesus promised that rivers of living water will flow and it will restore. We all make mistakes. We all have bad days. But don't let you be separated from the tree of life, from the waters of the presence of God. And let those things wash over you. So I want to pray with you this morning. Um, I think this is an important story because like I said, this is the foundation of why our world is the way it is. And it started in the garden. But we had to talk about these two trees before we get into the results of what happened. And I believe this. If you live with wisdom, great. More importantly, never get separated from the presence of God. Let him wash you. And if you have sinned, ask the Lord to forgive you. There's no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. He'll forgive you.